0: So today uh, we're going to take a little detour from the letter of 1 John and and I uh, just to let you know you know as going into this I thought about just changing this whole thing completely but I think Friday we'll spend the time you know really celebrating Daniel's life and uh, we're just going we're going to continue in where we were heading today. I hope that's respectful, understandable. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take this little detour from the, the uh, scriptures that we're going through in 1 John to answer some of the questions that last week's sermon brought to the forefront. Because if you remember last week, as we went through the letter of 1 John, now this is the letter of 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but the letter. Uh, he talks a lot about keeping commands, and he says this, Everyone that believes that Christ, Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. And this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, a very definitive statement here. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, they're not heavy. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And as we looked at the Gospel of John from last week, if you remember, we saw the context of this was that keeping the commands of God is within the context of unity with God. It's not an external command. Like the Old Testament were these external commands trying to keep our, our sinful nature in check. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not, do not... But the, but the commands of Christ, as he talks about it, when we went through the Gospel of John, if you remember, we looked at chapter 13 and 14, and I encourage you to read 15 and 16. We understand, we find out that the context of keeping commands are with the unity of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is called the counselor. Jesus calls him the counselor. And by being in unity with the Holy Spirit, we are then in unity with the purposes and the priorities of God. And it's within this context of unity within the purposes and priorities of God that we are told to keep his commands. And this is why he says in this in this letter, first John, the commands are not burdensome, because we are in unity with what God wants. It's like uh, we've like if you've been ever on a a sport team, and you know, when you're when you're in this place of sport, sometimes the sport, the, the training is hard, sometimes the games are hard, sometimes they hurt, sometimes you get injured. I used to play American football. Sometimes you get hurt while you're playing, but you want to be there. You want to be there, even though it's hard, because you're in unity with the purpose of your team. And that's a very, you know, very uh, kind of pale way of, of, of explaining what it means to be in this unity with God, that His purposes for, this, for people, for all of creation, become our purposes, become our priorities. And no matter how much it might hurt we will want to be there. That's why keeping those commands are not burdensome. And his main command was to love one another. If you look in John 15, uh, now this is the gospel of John. This unity within, with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and this unity within his purposes and priorities is how Jesus defines friendship with him. He says this. He says, you are my friends if you do as I command. Now, if you took that without any kind of context, that sounds manipulative, you know if you if you do what i command then you're my friend but that's but if you understand the context as he goes on to explain the context i no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business in other words a servant doesn't know the master's priorities the servant doesn't know what the master's purposes are he says but i have called you friends For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You know God's priorities. You know His purposes. I've made it known to you. This makes you friends. It's within this context you keep His commands. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appoint you to go to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Again, these are these passages about prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do for you that Christians struggle with because they don't understand the context is within this unity and purpose of God. If you're within unity with God through the Holy Spirit, then the purposes and priorities of God will be your purposes and priorities. And you'll know what those purposes and priorities are. You, you'll know it better anyways. And you can ask for it. And because you're within that will of God, he will, he'll respond to that. This is why when you pray for the Ferrari, it probably doesn't come because that's not within that unity and the purposes and plans of God. You know, even though you might get some folks to agree. Hey, let's all agree on this. And then he says, this is my command. Love each other. Again, the the real command of Christ is that command of love. To be in this connection with Christ, but also a connection with one another. And that power of the church is found in this love. It's a love that's defined by God. Again, we talked about this last week. So we're not going to take a lot of time to be on that. So if you, want, if you, didn't, if you didn't hear the sermon last week, it's online. You can, you can take a look at that because that gives context to today. So we talked about this last week. We talked about what it means being unity, the love. But then these questions came up because this is just the reality that we live in. If we have this shared Holy Spirit and if we have this unity of love, then why are Christians ununified? around the world, and sometimes even within churches. Why do churches fight and split? Why? If we have the same Holy Spirit. What does it mean if I have no passion for God's plan, or I feel like I'm not in step with what I'm told I should be passionate about? A lot of people go around feeling like they're bad Christians because they don't have the same passion for a certain work in the kingdom that someone else has, and they compare themselves to that person. They go, why can't I have that? Passion. And then a very personal one for all of us. Why do I still sin if I'm in unity with God through His Holy Spirit? Why do I still sin, fall away? So I'm going to share with you my understanding in this today. And if you think differently, that's fine. But, uh, but this is, you know, I've been soaked in the Word and the whole church thing and people and all that and, and God's Spirit. Uh, probably not as much as I should, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd want to be in that as well. For over 30 years and so I kind of have a perspective on this and I'd like to share it with you but before I do so I want to start, share a story with you that some of you have heard before I use it in our leadership training when we we do our leadership training every year for folks that might be considering stepping into different places of leadership at the church and it's about the only time that I got into a serious potentially relationship damaging argument with some fellow pastors so when I was in Oregon, before I came to, to uh, Germany, I was part of this group of pastors I met. And it was a group of local pastors in our two towns. these two little towns, uh, Monmouth and Independence, and, uh, and we used to meet together. And we would talk about, you know, life issues and the church. And we'd pray together and encourage one another, and it was a really good group. And we had our theological differences within the group. You had people that believed you could lose your salvation. You had people believed one saved, always saved. You had people that were much more Pentecostal uh, than others. You had people that, that weren't Pentecostal. They were even cessationists. That these things no longer exist. You had people that were into the predestination. Everything is Calvinistic predestination. You had people who believed in free will, and that was their main... But we didn't argue about these things. We would discuss these things fairly often. You know, just kind of like, a, like, a, like, especially if one of us was working on a sermon, like, well, what about this, pastors? How do you guys see this kind of thing? And we would disagree all the time on stuff, uh, but it never got contentious. But one day it got contentious. It got heated. And to make a long story short, because we have a lot of ground to cover today, one of the pastors came, came to the group and he shared a story that a visiting missionary had shared in his church. And it was a, a meaningful, impactful, true story that this missionary shared, and I can't remember what most of the story was about because I have a tendency to get distracted when I feel like the facts are off a little bit, and what distracted me from this story, and it was meaningful, I wish I could tell you what it was, was, but I can't, can't remember, because I fixated on this thing, he he told the story and it centered around a pineapple tree growing in the center of a village. Some of you kind of know what the problem with this story is, don't you? And I did. Some of you might not. But uh, I grew up in, in West Africa. I grew up in Ghana. I had pineapples growing in my yard. Uh, I've been to Honduras. I've seen pineapple fields. And I can tell you definitively, pineapples do not grow on trees. This, there is no such thing as this picture. I had to make this picture. And so when the, when the pastor finished with the story, one of our, our, my brothers said, you know, he, it was an inspiring little story. And he said, I might use that in my, my sermon this week. And I, just, I, I, you know, I probably should have just shut up. But I couldn't. I was just like, well, the only problem with that story is pineapples don't grow on trees. And it could be that the pastor didn't misunderstood the missionary. Maybe it was a pineapple, little pineapple field in the middle of the village or little pineapple bushes. Certainly not a pineapple tree. But this set off quite a ruckus among us. The guy who told the story insisted that pineapples do grow on trees. And for me to say otherwise was to call this missionary a liar. And who am I to call this missionary a liar? And I wasn't saying he was lying. I was just saying pineapples don't grow on trees. You know, maybe it was a field, like I say, maybe it was a bush, and I tried to explain how pineapples grow. And this is how they grow, that little top part that's kind of this little bush there. You cut that part off, you plant it, and that little bush will become, will grow, and then the stalk comes out of the middle, the little pineapples on top of that. That's why if you look at the bottom of a pineapple, there's that little round place, that's where the stalk is. And you can cut this, this crown into four bits, and you can spread it out, but it doesn't grow on a tree. It's more like a bush that grows. And so I was trying to explain this, but it was getting nowhere. It was a lot of anger. Then finally, one of the other pastors chimed up. And he took a deep breath and he said, listen, Jeff's right. I've been to Hawaii and I can tell you pineapples do not grow on trees. And I was like, thank you, my brother. He goes on to say, they grow in the ground like potatoes. I was like, what? What are you talking about? So off we went again, and I began trying to explain how pineapples grow, and he got angry with me, and he said, I went to the fields, I saw them in the fields, they grow like potatoes, and if you look at this picture of a pineapple field, you can see why he believed they grew like potatoes, right? He saw the tops, and he assumed underneath it, you have the rest of the pineapple growing. He didn't understand that that's just the top. And underneath it, now you have roots growing. These are going to become bushes. And the pineapples, they grow like potatoes. I saw it. So now I have two pastors angry with me. Like yelling angry. And my experience meant nothing. I have a plant science degree. And it meant nothing, to be honest. My plant science degree was from the University of Idaho. It had nothing to do with pineapples. It had to do with potatoes, though. And I can tell you, it doesn't grow like potatoes. But they all heard and saw something that had informed them was true. And so, you know, I went home and I put together this presentation on how pineapples grew and and was going to show it at our next meeting. But no one wanted to see it, obviously. They're just like, just let it go. It's like, you let it go. (laughs) (laughs) But I learned something from that incident and I've thought about it a lot since. And I still think about it. You see, the fact is, we see this world, all of us see this world through kind of different sets of lenses. If you think of like a lens of a glasses or the lens of a camera, we all see the world through these lenses. And how the world is, that experience of truth flows through those lenses into our life. And the lenses are things like things we've been taught, or our parents, what they taught us, or our lack of parents. If you came from a household, you didn't have two parents there, that affects you past successes and failures, uh, people whose opinions we value. The pastor, he valued the opinion of this missionary, a life experience. There's all kinds of different lenses. And even though we're often affected by the same sorts of things, like everyone here is affected by somehow your family. It could be a positive. It could be a negative. It could be your family was was present. Your family was absent. But we all are here. We're not here by uh, any particular, uh, you know, miracle. We're all born into this earth. We all have a family. But we all have a different experience with that family. And we all have different sets of experiences. IBCD, we're a very international church. You have people that have come from all over the world. And you take all these different lenses and you begin to stack them. And that's how we view the world. We view the world through all these filters around us. And some of those things that we understand, some of these things we're completely unaware of. Some of the things we understand, and they're bad, and we we try and get help with it. We try and talk to therapists, or we we pray, or we have counseling, or whatever. But there's many things we're completely unaware of. We don't even know that we don't know. And this pineapple story is kind of an interesting example. The one pastor who was passionate that pineapples grew like potatoes. I don't know how long he kept that little bit of information in his head. He he had visited Hawaii years before and brought back the information in his head that pineapples grow in the ground like potatoes. Now, Fortunately, this isn't necessarily a life-altering kind of information or misunderstanding. It doesn't really matter to most of us how pineapples grow. But it was interesting that when that bit of truth, that was pretty inconsequential, right, to his overall life. When that truth was challenged, he pushed back, and he pushed back hard because a truth that he believed he had witnessed was being challenged. And when I challenged Without meaning to, but when I challenged that one pastor interpreter, I was challenging the integrity of the missionary. And again, I don't even know. Maybe the missionary told the story about a field and the pastor heard it as a tree. I don't know. But when that was being challenged, they pushed back hard because it was challenging their worldview somehow. And we're all like this. Every single one of us are like this. Every single one of us has a filter through which we see the world that is very unique to ourselves. Because no one has had the same amount of experiences in the same way. And understand, I'm not saying truth is relative. In this pineapple story, it is scientifically proven again and again and again how they grow. Truth is not relative. But what we think is true can sometimes be subject to how we view the world. And sometimes what we think is true is not true. So you're with me so far, right? So this is the best case scenario because now the real problem comes. This whole thing is made much more complicated than we can even get our heads around because every single one of the lenses through which we understand the world around us has been affected to its very fundamental core by sin. Everything has been affected by sin. Every person that you have ever loved and helped shape your life was themselves a person affected by sin. Your sweet oma, you know that that made cookies for you and and cared for you. She was a sinner. And she was affected by sin. The teachers you most admired in your in growing up were sinners, people affected by sin, your mentors were people affected by sin. My you seminary professors who were so dear to my heart and were so encouraging and I so admire and still do, they were affected by sin. They just were. It wasn't, wasn't because they were particular. They just were. Your pastors are all affected by sin. The system of government under which you were raised, be it democracy, be it uh, capitalism, be it socialism. Some of you grew up uh, under even communist systems. All those Were put together and governed by people affected by sin. Your coaches were sinners. Your friends are and were sinners. Our economics are contrived by sinners. Creation itself is affected by sin. Sin is a big deal. It is a big deal. It's something that we don't really get our minds around. We kind of carry a simplistic understanding of sin in our lives. We often confine sin as to being us acting out in ways we're not supposed to act. Do this. Don't do that. That's how we think about sin. But sin is much deeper than that. It's much deeper than we shouldn't gossip or we shouldn't lie. It's deeper than that. It's this corrupting influence that is embedded into all we are and everything that you have Ever experienced except for one thing. There's one thing that isn't affected by the corrupting influence of sin, and that's Jesus Christ, and that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's like a ray of pure light that comes into our lives, and this is the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, because it is the one thing that we experience that hasn't somehow been affected by sin. In fact, Jesus and who he is in our lives in the Holy Spirit, it's the only thing that we will ever experience, not somehow affected. And in fact, creation is affected. If you read in the book of Romans, uh, Paul writes this, he says, "...the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration." And that frustration was the frustration of sin. It's a fallen world. When we rebelled against God as God's pre-ultimate creation of humanity, male and female, he created us in the image of God. When we rejected God, when we went against God, it, there was a trickle-down effect that affects the entire world. And that's what he talks about. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. You know, the animals in the world didn't decide if they were going to rebel against God. We did but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we await, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we have this, you have this creation, and we as believers in Christ are kind of, kind of the firstborn of redemption. But it hasn't all happened yet. There's this, there's this idea you see throughout the scripture already, but not yet. We're already counted as righteous because of what Jesus has done. But we have not entered into the fullness of what that means yet. Now, there's going to come a time that there's this Bible talks about a general resurrection where those who are in Christ will rise again, and we'll no longer be subjected to the power of sin. We'll no longer be subjected to a world that attacks us from every direction. And so we will be free from that. But right now, we are in the midst of this. And this is just Christianity 101. And it blows my mind how people who are supposed to be intelligent people, if you you watch on YouTube or other things, they will say, well... I just don't believe in a good God because the world around us keeps trying to kill us. You have earthquakes, you have volcanoes, you have tsunamis, you have all these things that are going on. It's like, well, we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a world that is fundamentally corrupted by sin. And this whole creation is under, under this corrupting power. And everything that you are as a person, everything you are physically, everything you are spiritually, everything you are emotionally, Everything you are intellectually, everything you are creatively creatively is all affected by this. And that's why if you look, there's some, I'm always amazed. I'm amazed at human beings. I'm amazed at how beautiful and creative they can be. But have you noticed too that within that beautiful ability to create, we can be really dark sometimes and we can be very much create music and art and things which are very disturbing and against God. And we feel it in a deeper way than almost anything because there's that power of God. It's that creative aspect we have, but it's twisted. And it's used in a way that doesn't glorify God and we can feel it. Especially if you're a believer, walked, you see something and you're just like, I don't want to continue in this. And very few people really have a true appreciation about the pervasive impact of sin. People will look at these questions and you say, well, sin is the problem. They go, that's a simplistic answer. But believing that sin is simplistic is part of the problem. Sin is not simplistic. Most of the sin that impacts your life, you have no idea it's actually impacting your life. The, one, the sin that you ask for forgiveness, when you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you your sin, and maybe some of you have experienced, when you ask Christ to forgive you of for your sin, sometimes you weren't, you know, you had some ideas what, the, what those sins were you were involved in, but it was later as you continued to walk in Christ as other things were revealed, you know, like the Holy Spirit began to say, you need to work on this. And you're like, well, I didn't realize that was a problem. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, you didn't realize it was a problem. Now you're growing, you're maturing, you do. You need to work on that. You know, oftentimes people who have struggled with, uh, Uh, Having a temper or or anger issues or or jealousy issues. You know, things that they didn't recognize was even a sin in their life until after they grow in Christ, those things become revealed to them. But what we also don't seem to get our understanding and, and get as deep as we should get into our understanding is that you're not just affected by your sin. You're affected by every human being who has put input into the world, which is sinful. Every single person, this whole world is affected by humans who are fallen, who are creating the image of God, and who can bring input into the world. And some of that is some pretty horrible stuff. And people say, why are there wars? Why is there social injustice? Why is there poverty? Why are we trying to kill each other all the time? Because we're a sinful people. We all are. Some recognize that. Most don't. And even those who claim to be Christians very often don't recognize all the places they put input. And I'm not standing up here saying, I've got me all figured out. There's there's places that I'm sure I still put the input of sin into the world that I'm either unaware of or sometimes I am aware of it. And I do it anyway. And so we're affected by each other. And one this is just a little Jeff thought. This may not be true, so you can take this or leave it. But sometimes I think the reason why the world just seems to be getting crazier and crazier and crazier, and truth is getting further and further just out there, is because as we have more and more people, there's more and more sin. And it just makes things more and more crazy and corrupt. But the point is we're hammered in ways that we understand by sin and we're hammered in ways that we don't understand and we're unaware of. I watched a thing one time about uh, these areas around the world, especially in certain cities where people just, uh, there's a lot of mental health issues. And one of the theories behind it, because they had a person go with this this, uh, sonic detector, that in some areas of cities, in particular cities, there's a there is a, a tremendous amount of noise that we can't hear. It's at a it's at a frequency that we can't hear. Like elephants communicate at this low frequency we can't hear. But if you can you can record it and you can bring it up, there's actually a lot going on there. And this one guy in this this report was in this area that had a lot of, you know, people struggled with like mental illness and things like that. He recorded at this low frequency and then he brought it up to a frequency we could hear, and the decibels just went off the scale. But our Our ears can't hear it, but our brains respond to it as if we're sitting next to this almost like airplane engine noise that our ears can't perceive, but our bodies can. And it just kind of made me realize this is kind of what sin is like a lot of times. It is loud, and it's affecting us, and it's vibrating through our system, and it's affecting us physically. It's affecting us emotionally. It's affecting us, but we don't even hear it. We don't even understand it. And so we think somehow... It's not there. And this is why we need Jesus Christ. This is one of the main reasons why Jesus is the way and the truth, the life, because he is the only thing, the only being, God in the the person of Jesus Christ, made also present by his Holy Spirit. This is the only thing that is not affected by sin. This is why Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by him, because he's the only thing. The only, the only one who's not affected by this. And so he's like a ray of light that comes into our lives and sheds hope into our lives. But it's like a little spotlight. There's, like, there's places in our lives that remain in darkness because we're not even aware of it. It's hard for us to deal with things that we're not aware of. And so we can seek to die to self. This is why the scripture talks all the time about death to self and life in Christ We need to get this self that wants to cooperate with sin. When the Bible says the flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What it means by the flesh isn't this meat that's on our bones. It's our flesh is this part of ourselves that wants to cooperate with sin. It's more comfortable cooperating with the devil it knows. But we have the spirit given to us by God that wants to cooperate with God. And there's a struggle that we all go through because there is this deep part of us that finds its comfort in the devil we know. And this is why we're told we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. And we, and we have this symbolized in all kinds of different ways throughout the, through, through the church. You know, baptism is a symbol of death to self, life in Christ. Uh, Paul talks about being crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Communion is a, is a symbol of death to self by participating in the death of Christ so that we can participate in the risen Uh, uncorrupt you know risen body of christ a risen life of christ all these symbols are telling us the same thing over and over again that we need to get our bodies our minds our spirits everything about us that is corrupted by sin has to go to the wayside so that we can live new in christ and that's why it's important to have the holy spirit within us so that we can live in this new way But here's another little Jeff thought, and you can take this or leave this part. I believe that when we were created in the image of God, we were created to be very strong spiritual beings. We might not think of ourselves as very strong, but you look at what humanity is able to do. We do some pretty profound things as human beings. Profound art, profound science, profound uh, feats of architecture. We do some crazy things. And we've gone to, you know, we've, we've sent stuff to other planets. What other animal has come anywhere close to doing what humanity has done? As far as we know, none. And I think that this strength is something that, that contends with the Spirit of God. We have this independent human spirit that because we're created in the image of God and because sin tends to just sort of uh, twist the things of God. We have this human spirit that wants to stay alive, that wants to be resurrected. And we may go through a deep prayer on our knees. God, take my life. Let me be consecrated unto thee. And then the next day we wake up and we're in the middle of the fight to give our souls again, to give our lives to Christ. Am I the only one that experiences this? It's a lot of, uh, are you afraid to say yes? Are you afraid to say No. Because that spirit within us doesn't want to die. It wants to live. Because we were created in the image of God. And it can contend with the spirit of God. Maybe more so than we want. And so this is why we have to, you know, our death, our understanding of what it means to follow Christ is a daily thing. Jesus uh, said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and uh, and, that, and I don't know why this translation doesn't have it in there, but it says deny himself and take up his cross. Oh, it's there. Take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's a daily thing. You don't just take up your cross once and you're done. You don't just ask for forgiveness once and you're done which is how a lot of people do their spiritual journey. They're, they're, they ask for forgiveness. They seek repentance. They get started on the road, and then they go, well, I'm all done. And they just sit down spiritually, and they never move. And they could be 20 years in the faith, but they're still only a few weeks old spiritually because they thought, well, it's just a one-and-done thing. And it doesn't mean you have to be saved again and again and again. But that death to self is something that has to happen again and again and again. Because if it doesn't, then we are pretty much an unregenerate person trying to follow Christ. We have to let him transform our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we sin. That question, why do we sin in spite of having the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, because we're meant to be strong spiritual beings. God made us to be strong. But sin has weakened and corrupted that. And yet that human spirit, even in its corrupt and weakened state, still fights back and contends with God's spirit. And God doesn't want to just dominate and crush us. He wants to be in unity with us. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's all about love. It's all being in unity. It's all about walking with. It's not being crushed. And God is gentle in this way. And so how does sin then often manifest itself in churches? Why is there disunity among Christians? Why is there there disunity uh, in our our bodies locally and around the world? Well, because most of the time the way sin manifests itself is selfishness. We have this strong spirit, and we're creating the image of God. And this strong spirit wants to be our own God. And because it wants to be our own God and is corrupted by sin... We are selfish. We are essentially selfish people. And the way that manifests itself in, in, uh, in churches is very often in ways where a person places himself at the center of all things, and they just find uh, people have offended them because it's all about them, or people are letting them down because it's all about them, or they're upset they're not getting in the way because it's all about them. When we become the center of our universe, we are in a miserable place. And the problem is, is yet most people who are in this place, when they're acting in a selfish manner, and you've probably experienced this, and if you've experienced this, you've also probably been on the the side of it where you were the person. Everyone in the room can see what's going on. They can see what's going on with you. They're like, man, this person is just, they're not following the script here. They're completely into themselves. But that person who's selfish doesn't see it. Have you noticed that? They just don't see it. And not only do they believe that they are right, they believe they are heroically right. I am the hero of my story. Everything that I am and stand for is correct and right. And if you, the whole rest of the world is not in step with me, that's because the whole rest of the world's out of step. I am the center. I am right. And none of us would probably sit here and go, yes, I do believe I'm the center of the universe. But we act like it all the time. And when we bring that selfishness into the church, it's impossible for us as a body of Christ to focus on the purposes and priorities of God when we're focused upon ourselves. When we're looking at ourselves as individuals, it's impossible for us to be in the purpose and will of God. You can't really function. You can't function as a Christian within the purpose and will of God without also being in the character of God. Now, it's true, God, in the Old Testament, he took some folks like the Pharaoh. They were not within the character of God. He made them do his will. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. But for the believer, for us to be walking in the will of God, we have to also be within the character of God. And the character of God doesn't allow for our selfishness. We are not the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of it all. And we can sing that, but do we live that? And because we're so often unaware how our actions, how our attitudes, even our physical bodies, how our values are affected by sin, because we're so unaware, we don't combat them because we're not even aware that we should be fighting these things. And Christ forgives us. That forgiveness and grace of Christ, he forgives us of what we know and what we don't know. And over time, the Holy Spirit brings us into awareness of the issues we have in our life. If we choose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, transforming our lives, transforming our souls. And that journey, I can tell you, that journey can be rough. It can be discouraging. And to be honest, some people stop and they just sit down. They never get back up. Which brings us to having the lack of zeal when it comes to sharing the purposes and priorities of God. Sometimes... We don't really have any zeal for sharing the purpose and priorities of God because we are nowhere close to being unified with God. We've chosen to stop being walking with him or we've chosen to never be unified with him at all. And so we think about the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it clear what we're supposed to do. He says, go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Again, command in the context of relationship, unity, and love. And I will be with you always, unity, to the end of the age. It's hard for us if you're not, not given over to the agenda of God. It's hard to be enthusiastic about his priorities. It's hard to care about his purposes. But then there's another thing that sometimes I think Christians beat themselves up unnecessarily. And this is a fact that it gets overlooked all the time. We're a body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, we have different functions. And it is okay for you not to have the same passions as everyone else around you or someone else around you whom you admire, because maybe you're meant to have a different function within the body of Christ. And so I think sometimes Christians beat themselves up because they're not, they don't have the same passion for teaching, or they don't have the same passion for evangelism, or they don't have the same passion for worship and music or they're not very administratively minded they don't have these passions that it looks like these folks around them that that uh have those passions and they compare themselves to them if i was a good christian i would look like this person but we are a body in christ and we need to have different people with different passions but we all are to share in the same purpose and priority of god the purpose and priority of god is clearly it's within it's matthew it's within our vision statement you know to go into all nations and make disciples that's the purpose of God. Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. It's clear. That's what, the per- that's what the church is for, to go to make disciples, teaching them to obey Christ's commands. But how we do that, how we're involved in the body of Christ, that's, that depends on how God has made you. What is your passion? And it is okay for you to have a passion which is different as long as you plug that in and you serve in the priorities and purposes of, of God. So, one of the, so when it comes to this question, why do I kind of feel like <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, the church and the passion for God? Well, part of it is you need to die to self probably more. We all do. We could all, we we're all in this constant battle of death to self and a life in Christ. And it's harder in my generation than it was harder. The Internet makes things way harder because the Internet makes so many things available that we would just all be better off if not was easily available. And not just pornography, but you know, misinformation, you know, being alien. there's so much great stuff on the internet, but there's so much terrible stuff on the internet. But it's not just that. It's also understanding who you are in Christ. What are your passions? Where do you want to serve? And it's okay that it's not like up in front. You know, it doesn't have to be a showy thing. There's ways to serve, like, like the body. We have the external, we have the internal. The Apostle Paul talks about even the most... You know, you know, intimate private parts of the ones that are held in high honor. You know, there's lots of ways to serve. So what is that passion? And understand you need to fight to be in the will of Christ. Because the more we are alive in Christ, then the more ably and powerfully we will be able to work to carry out the kingdom work. And this is us as individuals. The more you are walking in step with Christ then the more you'll be able to be in unity with your brothers and sisters. The more we're in unity together as a church, the more we'll be able to impact the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And the opposite's true. The more we are the center of our own little universe, the less we're able to be unified, the less we're unified as a church body, the less we're going to impact the world. And Jesus says some amazing things when he talks about being in unity and carrying out the kingdom work, things that I think we read and go... Well, that can't be true. He says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. In other words, you'll share in the purpose and the priorities of God. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I think a lot of us kind of step back from that and go, no way. But you know, Christians throughout history have spoken to more people than Jesus has. They've been involved in in movements which have impacted a wider uh, geographical area for the sake of the gospel than happened in Jesus. Jesus has spent most of his time in about a 50-kilometer radius his entire life. And then he tells his disciples, now you go to the ends of the earth. You go to Judea, you go to Samaria, you go to the ends of the earth. You're going to impact more. But why are we able to impact more? Because of his Holy Spirit. He says he's going to go with the Father and then he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come. So we dwell in unity with God's Holy Spirit. And this is why he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Again, those, those verses around prayer and asking for things in Christ's name. You'll do that because that will bring glory to the, that, the Son will bring glory to the Father, the Spirit of God within us, which is the Spirit of Christ. It is the Spirit of the Father. It's the Spirit of God, if you want to think of it in this kind of broad term. It will bring glory. It will reveal the Father. And the Holy Spirit wants to have the Father revealed. And so here's, this is the sermon-sized answer to these big questions. There's a lot more nuance to all this. I mean, books are written on this topic. And we're trying to get through in about 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And that's all the time we have for today. But I want this take-home message to be this. And, I, and it's probably it's something I, I don't want you to mourn over, but it's something I want you to be aware of. And that is sin affects your life more than you give it credit for, more than you realize. It's in your way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, even creatively, more than you realize. Jesus said, before we take the speck out of someone else's eye, we have to take the plank out of our eye. In other words, he said, there's some big things in your life, and you're unaware of it. Before you go trying to take the speck out of someone's eyes, you need to realize where you've been affected by things. And do a little self-reflection on these things. And if you want to improve your work in the kingdom, not because you're trying to gain favor with God, but because you love God, you want to share with him in his purposes and priorities. You want to be more effective in that place. If you want to be a unifier in your church, as well as within the kingdom of God, then you need to seek out those places where you have been affected and you are affected by the pervasive aspects of sin within every part of our life except Christ. And you say, well, how do I do that? You just pray. This isn't hard to do. You pray and you ask the Holy Spirit. If you go to the Holy Spirit and you pray with uh, sincerity, the Holy Spirit will immediately start to bring stuff up. And sometimes it'll be things you don't even think of like, you know, spending reading these books. You need to stop that. Well, there's nothing wrong with those. Just trust the Holy Spirit. If he says this is a problem for you, stop it. He says, stop doing this. You need to do more of that. And it might not make sense to you, but the Spirit will speak if you just allow it and don't argue with them. And start following what the Spirit prompts you to do. And, and unless you hear something that goes clearly against the Word of God, like leave your wife and go be with this other woman, that's not, that's, you know, what you have to hear comes, has to go along with the Word of God. But if you hear that, you just respond to it. What is it? What is it? He's calling you to do. Because that's part of how you set it aside. Like sometimes you you won't know why. Like why is this important? I don't know why. But it's something that he wants you to do. And if you aren't hearing anything, and this is where we we walk with one another, ask someone whom you trust, and that person wants the best for the kingdom first. And this person, you have no reason to believe they won't have anything against you, that they want the best for you. And understand, this might not be a person that's emotionally invested in you. People who are emotionally invested in you often have a hard time telling you the truth about you. Your friends will go, oh, it's not a big deal. Ask people whom you can trust and who know you well enough, and you believe they want the best for the kingdom and they do want the best for you, and they're not going to let the emotional investment keep You from hearing the truth. And when you hear something that you might not like, instead of reject it, pray about it. And if the Spirit says, this is an issue, then you repent. You walk away from it. And you walk away from it, you act on it by walking away. You try and take an action in the other direction. And you begin that journey of walking with God, allowing Him to transform your life. And so you become more and more in the image of Christ. And that's what the scripture tells us we are to be. We're to grow into the image of Christ. And you're like, well, I can't do that one. Be on the journey. No one's going to get there till we're finally, you know, reborn in Christ and everything is done. And, but be on that journey. Hear. Repent. Act. And walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your, for your word. And we thank you for... Your Holy Spirit, and Father, I think the Holy Spirit is probably something that a lot of us, myself included, need to understand more deeply. We all need to know you more deeply. We all need to walk with you in this place uh, more deeply. And Father, we pray that as we uh, continue in this time together, that and as we go through the next upcoming weeks, and just as we are as people, as family of Christ, but also as individuals with relationship with you, God, that, that you will... Make us aware of the places of sin in our lives and help us to set them aside so we can glorify you. And Lord, help us to overcome that stubborn human spirit that wants what it wants. And very often what it wants is not what you want. May we die to self so we can live more fully in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.